Welcome to Resilience Radio, crushing the tough stuff. The podcast where we explore how to leverage your thinking in order to overcome life challenges. And now, here's your host, Kim Addis. Good day, everyone. Today, I'm very, very excited to introduce you to my guest, Robin Green. So Robin Green isn't just an ordinary guest. She's a special guest for me because I grew up with Robin Green. We went to high school together. And for me, she was like a little sister. Robin, welcome. Thanks, Kim. It's really exciting to be here on this amazing podcast. Um, So we grew up together in Montreal. And uh, we went to school together. We hung out together. And uh, she ended up moving to Toronto, where I live. And we literally live maybe seven, eight, ten minutes away from each other. But Robin is a, a single mother. And she's an entrepreneur. But Robin, tell us exactly what you do. What is your business called? And what is it about? All right. Well, about 15 years ago, I knew that I liked event production and I thought I would be doing lots of different events and starting with um, starting with the fact that there were lots of moms and babies around town and I went to a movie one day because I loved movies and my background was in film and communications and it was a matinee and a mom sat down with a baby. It does regular matinee and just as the lights went out, the baby started to cry. And I was about 30 at the time, and I was not in the mommy set, and I always thought there should be a special place for crying babies. And then I realized that in Toronto, or anywhere in Canada actually, they didn't actually have a special opportunity for a mom to get out with a baby and do something normal, like see a movie. So as I was sitting there listening to the baby cry, I have no idea what the movie was, but the whole idea and the name, Movies for Mommies, popped in my head. And I just envisioned a safe place for moms to go um, that would be a grown-up movie for them to enjoy. There's so much out there, Jim Burries and Mommy and Baby Sing Song, all of these things to stimulate baby, which is great and important. But sometimes mom needs to do something that, um, you know, stimulates them and makes them feel that if they're going to a party, they can talk about the latest movie that they saw. So Movies for Mommies is a program that we run across Canada um, in regular cinemas during the afternoon and a matinee. Sound levels are turned down, so it's not too loud for baby. Uh, we have change tables, bottle warming, stroller parking. We have lots of relevant um, sponsors and clients who want to connect with the mom, so they get all kinds of good freebies. And it's really a great way for moms to meet up. They can just come with their baby, meet new moms and network, and just feel like they're part of the grown-up Um, world and not just, you know, immersed in baby, baby, baby. So this program really took off. Um, I started to license it across Canada and uh, it's been keeping me busy ever since. So you license it across Canada. How many other licensees do you have? So right now I have six licensees. Um, I try and keep it, uh, you know, personal. It has to be the right person who is entrepreneurial and who wants a stay-at-home business opportunity. Um, It's a great second income that allows you to work from home, to work from flex hours. Um, You have to love movies and be outgoing and be sort of tapped into the local mom community. But it's lots of fun. And, of course, you can take your baby with you to the movies to to work on the day of the show. And um, it's had a really great response from the moms who've built it up in their different communities from Montreal to Vancouver. And, uh, you know, we're always looking to expand into new markets. So is this something that you can imagine yourself taking to the States? 
it is always a possibility and I'm always open to the right person coming at the right time and uh, and seeing if there's a fit and making it happen and bringing it, hey, to 50 states, all of them and even Alaska. So guys, if anyone's listening and you're interested in this business opportunity, Robin, how do people reach you? Well, best to contact me through the website, www.moviesformommies.com, and that's F-O-R, mommies, M-O-M-M-I-E-S.com, and they can always get information that way. Um, find out if it's, uh, if it's the right opportunity for them. Okay, so now let's get a little more personal. Okay. So you started this business at the age of, what did you say, 30? At 30, yep. And how old are you now? I'm turning 46 shortly. Way to go. Actually, very shortly, like in a week or two, right? <laughs> right. So, so you've been at this for 15 years, but you started it before you had children. I did. I think it's all about looking for that trend in the marketplace to say, hey, where is that next big idea? Uh, at the time, Canada had come into a one year's mat leave, which I'm sure is unheard of for listeners in the States who I think only get six weeks. But um, suddenly there were lots and lots of moms who were going to have time on their hands and there was nothing like it. And at the okay. time, there was nothing like it in the States. So, um, you know, it, it really was a, a timely thing. And and fill me in on the timing of everything. So you started your business, and were you married at the time? Uh, I was not married at the time. Actually, I turned 30. Uh, I turned 30 in August, and then I lost my job two months later. I had been working as a vice president in a market of marketing in a production company, and I had made this company lots and lots of money, and I was devastated, and I thought, you know, before I go out and make someone else lots and lots of money, why don't I see what I can do on my own and, uh, you know, create my own business and my own vision and not have to answer to everybody. And um, I had a very, very encouraging parents who were really supportive and said, hey, we think you can do this. And the worst that can always happen is you can go out and find a job. And it was a few months later that I found myself sitting in this cinema where opportunity meets idea. And uh, that idea of, you know, the place for moms and babies was born. And I, it was kind of the unique experience of coming up with the business and running the business. But it was only six years later that I had my first child. And I could really appreciate it, not just from the business point of view, but also as a mom to say, oh, my gosh, this is really fun to be able to do. And like snuggle your baby and watch a movie and have hot popcorn and you know, be with the girls. Um, we just did Bad Moms the other day. We had 100 moms in the cinema, all enjoying a great afternoon out with their friends and their babies. And it's, you know, it's tremendous. So again, I wanted you to take me back. So you lost your job. And a lot of people who might be listening may have experienced that or may have or may be right in the throes of uh, contemplating leaving their job. So you lose your job and you think to yourself, Maybe it's time for me to start my own business. Did you have any concerns, any fears, any self-doubt? Um, what, what were the first things you started with? What, you know, tell me about your thinking at the time. I think the thinking is you really have to tap into what your skill set is and what you like to do. And I think at the end of the day, and maybe this is perspective now in my 40s, but I also think I had it in the 30s, is to say, if the worst case scenario is it doesn't work, you can always find a job. You're highly employable, whether you're going to work at Starbucks or be a VP at a company, anybody can find a job who wants to. But I think if I hadn't actually tried it, I would have regretted it for a really long time. And, you know, it was interesting. I wasn't married at the time. I was single. I wasn't even dating anyone. Um, 
But the person I ended up marrying was so ultra conservative that I really felt so fortunate to have taken the chance because had I been married at the time, he would have probably talked me out of it. And a lot of people will say, you need a plan, you need a, a really strong business plan, you need a, everything has to be thought about to the emptying degree. And sometimes you really just need to listen to your intuition and go with your gut and use your common sense and use all the skills that you have to build something. And you don't have to go great guns all at once. I didn't start off in 15 locations. I started off in one location. And the first theater that I approached said, nobody is going to come to this. It's not worth our time. But I really believed in the concept. And I found a theater who would do it. And suddenly it was on the front page of the newspaper. And people were calling saying, hey, how do I get involved? So, you know, it's really believing in yourself. Anybody can say no. People without vision, people who are scared, anybody can say no. But if you believe in yourself, you won't regret trying. Even if you fail, you won't regret trying because you'll have tried it. And you'll have learned something, succeed or fail, you'll have learned from the experience rather than, you know, having that corporate job and saying, God, I wish I'd gone out on my own. So a few years later, and I don't know how far into it you were, you ended up meeting someone and you got married. Mm -hmm. So who is this guy? I mean, you don't have to get very specific, but how did you meet and what was the decision that you made to get married? Well, uh, it all happened in a very short amount of time. I started my business, um, you know, in January of, you know, 2000, and I met him a few months later. Um, you know, I was uh, at a party that I wasn't supposed to be at, and he was there. And, you know, it just sort of unfolded and ended up, you know, you're kind of in your 30s. You've dated a lot. You, um, you kind of know what you want you don't want and you thought hey you know it's time to settle down and this is the right person at the time we believe it's always the right person and uh it's kind of how it unfolded okay and then you had two children we had two children yep okay and so i mean i read your bio and you described the marriage as being pretty rough what was tough about it and i you know one of the reasons that i'm excited about this interview is cuz i think a lot of people a lot of our interviews are really like, you know, some of them are crazy, wild stories um, that not everybody can relate to. But I think with you, there's a lot of relatability. There's a lot of people who are listening, who are maybe in the middle of a marriage that isn't what they thought it would be, or they are past a marriage, they're in the middle of a divorce, and they're kind of working through it. And so I really kind of want to get into the, the nuts and bolts of that. You were in this marriage, why wasn't it such a great place? Well, I think everyone enters into a marriage with the best of intentions. Um, and, you know, I think that you go through your honeymoon phase and that's great. And then you have children and everything changes. And I think the core is that it a marriage takes work. A marriage is not on autopilot. But a marriage takes constant maintenance. It takes passion. It takes time, adult time. And it's it's a... It's a terrible realization to come to, to say, this is not what I want. I don't want to be a glorified um, roommate or cook or clean. I want to be a woman who is respected, who is loved passionately, who is thought about, not as an afterthought. And it's really taking stock and saying, you know, am I going to be selfish and destroy the family unit? Or am I going to be strong because my children deserve to live in a house and see what healthy love and relationship is like between two people. 
So I want to make a distinction between healthy love and totally dysfunctional. So would you say you were in the state of dysfunction? I don't think from a child's point of view or anyone else's point of view, it looked dysfunctional from the outside. Mm. I think when, you know, the sort of the news broke, people were kind of shocked because we never fought. But to me, that's dysfunctional. If you can't argue with someone or if someone shuts you down when you express an opinion or displeasure or whatever, that to me is a problem. So in one sense, we weren't screaming and throwing things at each other, but there was no open communication. There wasn't, you know, you have to be able to say, these are my feelings. You may not agree with them. Feelings aren't right or wrong. They're feelings. And you need to, you need to acknowledge that this is how I feel. He couldn't, it, it hit him from left field. Um, and you know, all the things that we're building and all the things that I had tried for years to say, we have a problem that he didn't choose to listen or acknowledge or even recognize there was a problem. So when those words actually came out and it was over, which I think is really the hardest part is going from keeping them in your head to putting it out there. Cause those are never going to go back in your head. It's out there. And, um, you know, really having that process start. It was the beginning of a very, very long, long, long process. So what were the tough parts about this process? Like, you know, I remember I kind of was there through some of it, but, you know, tell us about one or two of the incidences that made it really, really a big struggle for you. Well, I think looking at the positive side first, this is someone who, you know, not the right person for me, but was a very active parent and truly loved his children. And we both agreed from the get-go that no matter what happened, um, we would keep our animosity or our whatever away from the kids. We would never say anything bad about the other parents. And we really put the needs of the children first. That was, that was the golden rule. And all family agreed to this rule, uh, aunts, uncles, cousins, parents. And that, to this day, I can say is why I think that the children are so well-adjusted. Now, everything else, unfortunately, you know, having my own business, um, you know, he, he was a, an employee for a company, so he had all his T4s and whatever that could, you know, verily be proved that these are, you know, this is income and whatever. But when one has their own business, you have to go through a business valuation. So, you know, I was just so desperate to want to, you know, be able to put closure and end and move on. And here was something, someone who at every turn, you know, made it so difficult. And, um, you know, to the point that there were lawyers and mediators and this business valuator, you know, these were people not fresh off the boat who were scratching their head saying, I haven't seen anything like it in all my years of practice. I think that goes to saying it was not an easy situation at all. So, and I remember, you know, certainly your frustration, your um, almost desperation to get out of it. But, you know, for those people who are listening, how did you handle it? How did you stick through it? How did you keep your head above water? How did you, you know, just not lose it? Or maybe you did. Well, there were definitely a few times that I did. And, you know, the laws in Canada, until there was a certain parenting agreement uh, in place, I couldn't leave the, the matrimonial home with my kids. And so, you know, suddenly you were two people with great animosity existing in a house with two kids. And it did. It, it tests your sanity at every turn. And that was about almost almost 12 months of being in the same house, which, you know, the there really are no words. And, you know, I think that, that there are times you hit rock bottom and 
you know, you think you're a sane and level-headed person and logical and a grown-up, but you also discover when someone pushes you and really pushes you, you can discover dark things about yourself and capability within yourself that it can be very disturbing. That, you know, if given free reign, other things might have ensued. But I think, you know, you really have to focus on taking that deep breath. And I think the most important thing to anybody who is in this situation is, you know, no one is an island. And to say to a friend or say to family members, I need your help. I need you to listen. I need, you know, to, to get out of the house tonight. Can I come and hang out for a few hours? Or whatever it is to be able to pick up the phone and say, I'm having a bad day. I'm having a bad moment. And, you know, there is no shame in that, that really it, it takes a village and not everyone has a village. And you can, you can appreciate that even if you only have one friend or one sister or one parent, it can just take one person that, you know, you can say, I need you, I need your help, and it can save you. So your suggestion then, again, I'm, I'm very interested in being able to extract useful lessons for those of you, for those people who are listening and maybe encountering a very similar tense situation, whether it's with a spouse, a partner, a business partner, um, you know, anybody in your world that is perhaps let's call them toxic. Would you say that your ex-husband at that point was very toxic for you? We were both toxic to each other. I mean, you could literally, I had friends who walked into the house and these are not hokey people. And they would say, oh my God, the level of negativity and pain in this place is just beyond. Right. The tension was very, very thick. And so for those of you who are experiencing anything like that and are stuck in a situation where the tension is very high, you know, one of the recommendations that Robin has here is to kind of take a bit of a breather, step out, share your struggle, right? Um, Find a friend, find someone who will just listen a little bit and carry some of the load, even for a few minutes, just so you could rest a little bit and catch your breath and then go back to the situation. Uh, do you think that in any way it could have been dealt with faster? I mean, 12 months at the same house with someone you really, at this point, I would say don't like. And really there was, you know, there comes a point where, you know, I mean, there are settlements and there are financial implications. Um, you know, I, I had a lawyer who literally credited me thousands of dollars saying, I can't, I just she actually felt so bad for what the stupidity that I was being dragged through that she said, I can't in good faith, you know, charge you. Like it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. And, um, you know, at that point you also evaluate and you say, look, what is my sanity worth? And, you know, very often there are people of all walks of life. There can be a little bit of money for a settlement or millions of dollars for a settlement. And it's also weighing what is your sanity worth? Um, you know, do you just say, fine, I'll take it. And as long as I'm happy, I'll move on. And, uh, you know, but at the same time, you also have to evaluate and say, well, I also need to raise my kids. I also need to live and I know I'm going to be working, but you know, we generated this income together and I'm entitled to X. And so I think it's also balancing what you're willing to walk away from for the sake of your sanity, because no money on earth is worth losing your mind over. You know, I think the hardest part going through the divorce is when everyone, whether they've been divorced or they've never been divorced, says, you know, you'll get through this, you'll see, you'll come out better. And you just think that they're 
they're just saying that by road and you're in the middle of the tunnel and the only light at the end of the tunnel seems like a train that's headed for you. But, Mm -hmm. um, you know, really you do come out the other end and you just put your face to the sun and you say, I am free and I can do anything that I want to do. Um, you know, I will rebuild and I'll be stronger and wiser. And I think the most important thing is to let go of the bitterness because, you know, suddenly you're out there dating again and you see there's a lot of people who are very bitter about their divorces. And those are people who aren't ready to move on. And if you really want to move on and have a healthy relationship, let the bitterness go. The past is the past and you get to start fresh. And yes, we'd all like to be married for 50 years. It would be wonderful. But life isn't always scripted. And maybe no one plans this. Maybe someone is, you leave someone or someone leaves you. And it stinks because nobody plans on being divorced. But it happens and you deal with it. And you just build from there. I think one of the things that you just said is super important. It's the whole idea of letting go of bitterness. And really, you know, from a coaching standpoint, what that's about is, Bitterness always happens when we look at the past and we say things should have been different. Things should have turned out differently. He should have done something different. I should have done something different. It's the should have component that creates bitterness. And um, if you could look at your past and kind of say, okay, things unfolded the way they did. I'm here now. What do I want going forward? And that question, that critical question is, you know, so important. It allows you to pivot. It allows you to turn towards what you want and start building your future. So what do you want from here on in? I think it might sound hokey, but I think it's just happiness. And I think, I think you can't say, I want to be happy. I think it's in the getting up every morning and looking around and saying, this is my home. And my kids have, um, you know, a safe place to play and they have friends on their street. And it's the little things step by step that when you're really appreciative. You're open to all the new possibilities, the new business ideas or work opportunities or people to meet and network with. And I always believe negativity, you know, it generates negativity and positivity. Um, really, it comes back tenfold. So, you know, really, it's just to rebuild. And um, listen, getting divorced is not a, a an easy thing. And it takes time to heal and to recognize you know what, you're not going to be superwoman all at once. um, But you take it a piece at a time and you really recognize the happiness and the joy even in the smallest things. And you know, just going from there. So I have one more question. And uh, for you guys who are listening, you're going to laugh. But what role did journaling play in your ability to handle all the tension and stress that you've encountered in your life? Well, to be really honest, I have—I don't know why. Well, actually, I do you know why? I've kept a journal since I was 12 years old because I always wanted to be a writer. And I wanted to re- really know what it was like growing up. So I have journals and journals and journals. But the most important part about journaling during this process is everything that you're feeling and you feel like your head is going to explode or you're really going to lose it. There's something about putting pen to paper that all the emotions flow out. It's almost like an emptying a cathartic process. And it also helps you organize the things you think maybe were really stressing you out aren't really those things. It's actually other things that as you write and you start to write, it's not the little thing. It's something else that now you're acknowledging as you write it out. And it allows you to look at that, you know, with really focused eyes and say, well, okay, that's a different problem. And how do I, how do I handle that? How do I resolve that? And I think it's a very, one of the healthiest things that anybody can do. Amen. 
<laughs> Amen. Amen. So what you're describing is what we call unloading. So it's unloading, taking all that angst, all that frustration, worry, anxiety, all that stuff from inside of you and putting it down. It's releasing it and then sorting through it and trying to make sense of it. And really, again, that key concept of pivoting and saying, okay, so where am I going? How do I solve this problem? And pointing yourself in the right direction. And Absolutely. so, you know, what you did is you literally used your journal to continuously point yourself in the right direction. So, I mean, you're a, you're a poster child for journaling. There you go. There you go. <laughs> anyway. It's a compass. It's a compass. So here's a question for you. You have a friend, you have a coach on the line. If you could ask a coach any question in the world, what would it be? Oh, what would it be? I think it would be how to keep your passion about, um, you know, in your, in your everyday work, again, whether you're self-employed or whether you've been at a job for 10 years, how do you maintain that passion for what you're doing to keep it fresh, to keep it exciting, to keep it on point and to keep yourself happy and stimulated in a professional way? You know, for me, uh, personally, I'm going to answer it on a more personal level. For me, where does my passion come from? My passion comes from a couple of things. It comes from, one, the meaning I attribute to the work I do. And so the meaning helps me stay passionate. You know, I'm helping people really, truly transform their lives. And that meaning matters to me. So if you are doing something that has meaning to you, then you stay passionate. If not, maybe it's not the right thing. But so that's number one. Number two is I think for me, the passion component comes from uh, really always staying in my sweet spot. In other words, not doing things that I'm not very good at or not very excited about. So I run a company. I don't do the accounting. I don't do the software development. That's not my strength. That's not in my core capabilities. And so I outsource the things that I'm not very good at. And I have learned as a business owner to continue to leverage myself, leverage my skills. And so, you know, in terms of passion, when you continue to grow and stay in your sweet spot, so three things, meaning, growth, and working in with your, within your sweet spot, those are the things that keep you passionate. And I've never said that anywhere before. So we should like record this or we did record this, but we should capture this and, and turn it into something good. I agree. <laughs> I think that's terrific advice. And I think it's very, very true, Kim. Anyways, what I want to say is thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time. I especially appreciate our friendship. I appreciate hanging out and a lot of times just reminiscing uh, Robin is an important and special person in my life, and I'm and I'm delighted that she was able to share her experiences. And again, experiences that a lot of us have gone through. I've been through a divorce. Man, it was probably one of the hardest times of my life. And so I can relate in so so many ways. Of course, my situation was a little bit different, but divorce is never easy. The key is that it brings you to a better place once you're done. And so sometimes you got to go through a bit of a dark place to get to a much, much brighter place. But Robin, thank you so much for spending this time with me. Thanks so much, Kim. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Crushing the Tough Stuff on Resilience Radio. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. To learn more about Kim Addison Frame of Mind Coaching, visit www.frameofmindcoaching.com.